0: This is The 966, the podcast and show that focuses on all things Saudi Arabia from the two guys who produce the most widely read daily newsletter on the kingdom. Episode 20, Richard Mumtaz.
1: Ah, shukran. This is quite, you know, at this point, every benchmark is a big one. It's, it's like our first month of you know of dating it's, uh,
0: <laughs> but 20 well, episodes is good 20 episodes is good we're on quite a roll with this before we rev up the engine here at the dakar rally race week we just want to say we really appreciate you guys our listeners tuning in wherever you get your podcasts and on youtube we're continuing to see our audience grow so we appreciate it if you haven't done it yet slam that like or subscribe button for us it really helps us out all right richard let's rock what's your one big thing this week
1: All right. I don't even know if I did it last week, but if I didn't, I should have. You know, the one big thing for everybody should be Dakar Rally. Dakar Rally. Mm -hmm. Dakar Rally. I don't know if you've seen any of, seen any of. I was watching a little bit last night on some I don't channel way up. It's just insanely awesome, and the the footage is amazing because they have helicopters, they have drones, you you have angles on these vehicles. But anyway, so. So this is, this is two of the things I, that I get very excited about. One is the Dakar Rally, the other is hydrogen. So here we go. So uh, the Dakar Rally started this, this Saturday, January 1st. It's the 44th Dakar Rally, which, if you may or may not know, is a two-week-long endurance race. And in, 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 in this case, it's broken up into 12 stages, covering over 5,000 miles. This is all in Saudi Arabia. <clears throat> um, over 1,000 participants, and we're talking bikes, quads, cars, and trucks. Some of these things are amazing. 209 rookies, 130 legends, and legends are people who are drivers who have been in 10 or more rallies. Uh, 34 are what's called original by Motul. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And these are riders without a support team. So these are just people showing up without a support team and trying to make it through 5000 miles of incredible terrain. 60 women, uh, and there's another 315 drivers and co-drivers that uh, do the Dakar classic so classic car and classic truck. so you have, it's like it's like mad Max it's just crazy all these vehicles <laughs> careening across the desert um, and added to that one of the things in this year uh, this year's rally is uh, the first hydrogen powered truck which is and the picture will go up on YouTube mm-hmm Incredibly cool looking six-wheeler that sort of looks like a converted sprinter van on steroids. Uh, that doesn't really quite capture it, but it looks awesome. <clears throat> and when you see the trucks going through the desert, they're especially awesome, because it's just huge. Um, <clears throat> but as with everything with Saudi Arabia, which is kind of interesting, there's a tie-in here. So this truck is a demonstration truck. They're just going 12 miles on an on, on initial stage. But it's, uh, it's done by a French automotive startup called Gossin, um, and it's sponsored by Saudi Aramco, Aramco and it's the H2 racing truck. And uh, the interesting thing is, is, is um, this past December Aramco uh, and Gosan signed an agreement to establish a manufacturing facility for on-road and off-road hydrogen powered vehicles in Saudi Arabia. And, and as a first step, Gosan and Aramco will study the feasibility of, ma- of a manufacturing facility and a hydrogen distribution business to serve the Middle East region. Eventually, they want to make hydrogen-powered trucks. So this is sort of, you know, Ramco's branded Gosan H2, you know, truck, you know, flying through the desert. Extremely cool. So th- this extremely awesome hydrogen-powered prototype may be coming to a street near you, if
0: you live in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Um, And like you mentioned, we're going to have this uh, some of the images of this thing on uh, for our YouTube watchers. But it sort of looks like the sand crawler from the original Star Wars, you know, like the big box that just crawls along the sand. Um, Very appropriate. Um, Ghost is a really interesting company as well. Uh, Tech company uh, actually founded in 1880 uh, that assembles and offers zero emission smart and connected vehicles for freight, transportation and people mobility based in France. The French are all about. Dakar rally I mean they were, they were the original sure. Dakar um, the, the original the original Dakar was from France to Morocco do I have that right
1: Dakar Senegal yeah,
0: Senegal okay yeah, yeah. sorry so, so yeah um, can you imagine and that's
1: one of the interesting things about Saudi interrupt on this 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 one so it moved the the rally moved from South America to Saudi Arabia primarily for safety reasons because you know yeah, you just there are too many incidences in Saudi, in in South America when mm-hmm. you know people out you know on some extended remote stage were you know <laughs> being hijacked, um, so they can do this in Saudi Arabia safely, but they it's been constrained to Saudi Arabia because of the pandemic and it'll be interesting once we get past this if they start like moving it out and including maybe some stuff in Oman and 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 Qatar maybe not Qatar but Emirates but you know so they just like the original Paris to Dakar rally uh you know that went across state lines or country lines so it might be interesting if that spreads out but as it is i mean saudi arabia has plenty of, of amazing terrain and varied terrain to make it just a uh, fascinating it's it's must see tv you got to watch this
0: it's really cool and and we featured uh, where to find it on uh, our website sustg.com. i believe it's an nbc sports offering in the united states um i hope i have that correct um, I should also note uh, that, speaking of France, they are investigating ex- investigating an explosion that happened in one of their support trucks, I think. Um, prior, I guess to the, was, prior to the start of the race, right? Prior to the start of the race, yes. Yeah. There was one seriously injured who was airlifted back to France. So, um, hope he is okay. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, the Dakar is awesome and and is fascinating. And you should definitely check it out. You can see a lot of the coverage of it on YouTube as well, which is where I've been watching it. So and
1: we've been um, in our in the daily review for Seustig, we've been uh, including something today, there was a collection with some great images.
0: Those were so awesome. Check those out on our daily email newsletter because they um, those those blew me away this morning when I saw them. So
1: that was a good collection. Yeah. Um, I was, by the way, as, as, as I digress, I was, I was looking at some video and I realized I, it was, and it was, <clears throat> one of the uh, drivers was upset because he was fine for speeding. And I guess there's zones, there's certain zones where you have to maintain a lower speed because of, I don't know, because it's a, a choke point or whatever. And it was, the, the, the zone speed limit was 30 uh, kilometers per hour and he's clock coming through at 107 kilometers per hour. And he was <laughs> upset
0: about it. <laughs> and saw her caught him and sent him an immediate <laughs> saw, yeah,
1: saw, <laughs> saw her in the desert. There was some <laughs> other video, my goodness, we're getting way off track. Another driver, so what happens is the bikers go out first. They're trying to do them in stages. So they have bikers, quads, cars, trucks. Especially vehicles. Bikers bikers usually go out first, which is good for the quads and the cars coming after it because you have a path to follow. But um, there was some video the other day where, where there was a biker that had wrecked, and he was sort of right on a narrow path through a rocky sort of passage, And, and this quad was trying to come through, and. And you could see it, he, he actually bumped this biker who was on the side of the road off his bike, knocked him all the way off his bike, and then sort of started to run him over and then stopped, and then pulled out and went around. And the story is that the driver was saying, oh, oh, he just waved me on. You know, I, I checked to see if he was all right, and the biker, you can see in the thing, he was not waving him on. <laughs> he, was, he was like, you know, he was, there was some, I'm sure there was some choice words said. It wasn't, it wasn't hey, thanks, no problem, carry on. It was like, you, what the, are you doing?
0: But, well, Richard, this podcast is like the Dakar Rally in that we don't have a track to stay on. Um, <laughs> we just have an end destination. We're going I'm wandering in win. the desert yeah. at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, fascinating stuff. Yeah, check <clears throat> check it out. Um, I guess it concludes. Uh, is it the end of this week that it concludes, or is two it two weeks? Go in- started
1: on the started on the first. I think it will go through the twelfth. So we, basically, and that's good. To, you know, you should see it because I think they they finished stage five. But maybe do stage six today so they're doing 12 stages, they'll take one day off. Um, So you've got you can see six, there's opportunity to see six more
0: stages. Um, And uh, again, it's well worth it. Really cool. Um, Okay, my one big thing this week, um, I would expect many of our listeners and viewers have tried Saudi coffee already. But my one big thing this week is Saudi coffee. Um, Richard, you're not much of a coffee drinker, um, which and you're more of a tea guy, which I understand. Um, but I live on coffee. It's the only (laughs) thing I drink. Um, and if, if you actually haven't tried Saudi coffee, it's sort of hard to find in the United States, but it's so, it's so good. It's like diesel fuel in terms of caffeine, lighter roasts have more caffeine. So typically Saudi coffee has a lot. Um, but yeah, it's more like a tea. It's golden in color flavored with cardamom and other spices. Um, this year, Saudi Arabia is launching as 2022, the year of Saudi coffee. It's a Ministry of Culture initiative. The visual identity and website was rolled out this week. Uh, The logo was inspired by the finjal or the small coffee cup used for drinking coffee in the Middle East, which is also considered a symbol for Saudi generosity and hospitality. Uh, A range of initiatives and events will take place over over the course of 2022, which will encourage the export of Saudi coffee to new international markets um in the past few years coffee bean farms in jazan have been given special attention as support for farmers has increased and special care has been given to the Kaula- Kaulani bean um yes i am just so bad at pronunciations but um <laughs> anyway I, i'll i guess i'll just um wrap up my side of this with this i think that there's a huge opportunity in the united states for saudi coffee because it just tastes so good and that it, it's just such a high caffeine co- content um, so I'm actually Jones for a cup right now. But um, unfortunately, it's just regular Starbucks here in my house. So um, Saudi coffee is, is part of the Saudi identity. And if you go to Saudi Arabia, you almost can't avoid it. It's it's very much part of the welcoming hospitality fabric that Saudis have. So just the smell of it takes you back there.
1: Yeah, I, and you're right. I, I've never taken the coffee, although. I made it through graduate school and and years in the the region. Although, when I'm there, obviously, and and we're visiting and and, and I'm happy to drink it, I much prefer it to American coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, So, it's definitely okay for that. This is, it's really been interesting. We've talked about how Saudi Arabia is basically um, it is part of it is this outreach to the world and you know in, in inviting tourists in and doing all these this but a lot of it is also putting forward their culture and, and just in this past year we've seen major festivals major uh, exhibits and and international organizations being very prominent on in terms of camels we've done it we did a we did a, a, a an episode on the camels uh, dates they, they have a, a, an annual uh, essentially month of dates, uh, Falcons, they had, uh, they had a month long uh, auction of Falcons, and now coffee, all these things, culturally very significant in Saudi Arabia. And it's a lot of fun to see, and it's a lot of fun to see how they're sort of tying it all in together as something. This is native and original and traditional to us. And by the way, it might be really interesting to you, and we might even be able to monetize it. Speaking of monetizing, uh, in 2021 coffee prices reached a 10 year high. And you know, experts continue that coffee prices, you know, will maintain being high in 2022, all the way into 2023. 2023. So it's uh, that was a hard one to say. So well, uh, you
0: just need to drink a more Arabic coffee, and it'll come right exactly, out. Exactly, <laughs> it'll come right out. So
1: so not only are they promoting their culture, they're you know they're they're maybe moving into an
0: uh, an up market. Totally, it's. Uh, When you try to compare it to the to the US and other places, like I'm trying to think if there's anything very anything similar to how the sort of Saudi welcoming and then there's always like a cup of Arabic coffee waiting for you, like in the US and in the UK, there's not a single drink that we universally share with virtually everybody that comes in. And in Saudi Arabia, it's like everywhere you go is this coffee. I mean, airports, like people's homes, businesses, you know, hotels, like everywhere you can find it. And, it, and it's so delicious. So yeah, I mean, maybe we'll cut this part out where we were talking about this would be a good business idea so that we can just get right to <laughs> it. And, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, Arabic coffee, delicious. Uh, if you you're know, listening to this and you're a Saudi in the United States and you know a good place to get Arabic coffee or a good place where you can get some instant Arabic coffee online, send us an email at the 966podcast at gmail.com because we'd love to know I'd love to just stock up with it and hoard it in my house and only drink that for the Russian will
1: life. want to see that one any anything that's critical just you
0: know, directly to me. <laughs> that's exactly right. I should have put that in the uh, <laughs> intro. But you're, you're exactly right. If it's if it's negative to Richard, um, really easy to remember. <laughs> um, Anyway, onto our first topic today, Richard. Let's talk about minerals and mining in Saudi Arabia. The kingdom is probably most known around the world for being the largest oil producer and de facto head of OPEC plus. But Saudi Arabia also has the largest mineral deposits in the Middle East. And now the government is looking to build on its resource endowment, quote, a new modern and responsible mining industry in a new and emerging mining hub. And the kingdom wants to offer the opportunities in this sector to investors. In the west of the country, the Arabian Shield is a major source of precious and basic minerals such as gold, silver, copper, zinc, chromium, manganese, tungsten, lead, tin, etc. Like oil, mining has a carbon footprint and there are complex economic forces driving the feasibility of extraction and export. Richard, let's talk a little bit about the mining and minerals sector in Saudi Arabia and sort of where it's going from here.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting play, and it's a play that has been part of their strategic planning for some time. And they actually the mining sector is already viable. I mean, they, they generated 26 billion in revenue in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to double this by 2030. And it, it's attracted a lot of uh, domestic and international investment. And they have, like you mentioned, they have their, their primary things are, are phosphates. They have three major projects. And actually, US companies, including Mosaic and, and, and Bechtel, are heavily involved in those projects. Uh, gold, gold is actually their most lucrative sector. They have sex, six gold mines. Um, they just opened up a an opportunity to to pursue some 26 million tons of gold, thinking and copper near Riyadh. Copper. The uh, the uh, the first copper smelter uh, with Trafigura Singapore is coming online. Aluminum. Uh, 2009, Alcoa. They they invested in and, and have developed an 11 billion dollar project that includes a bauxite mine, refinery, smelter. So. You know mining and minerals is already an important part of the economy i mean the big push now is i think saudi arabia with two reasons saudi arabia thinks it's a, it's a sleeping giant and when you look at the mining sector it comes underneath uh in terms of the vision 2030 scope it comes underneath that national industrial development plan and 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 that nidp plan it, it, you know they 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 they're dealing with industry and that would be the automotive sectors, which we did a segment on, military, pharmaceutical, that sort of thing, energy, power sectors, and renewables, logistics, ports, exports, that sort of thing, and mining, and they really see mining as that third pillar, along with oil, and then second pillar, gas and petrochemicals, as being a huge uh, natural resource revenue generator. And um, you know that the the piece we did on the automotive industries, there's some interesting parallels with the mining industry mm-hmm. in that, um, one, there's there's a, a very large domestic market, and I didn't know this, but Saudi Arabia is the fourth largest net importer of minerals in the world, so you've got an immediate need right there. Uh, two, again, like the automotive industry, GMA, geographic proximity to major end use markets in, in MENA, Asia, and Europe. And three, again, like the auto industry that they're trying to establish, uh, a really good jobs creator. I mean, the mining sector is They're talking about wanting to create, you know, some 250,000 geologists, engineers and positions like that by 2030 through the mining, you know, this expansion of the mining uh, industry. Uh, So what are they offering? And and, and they've just, they introduced a whole new mining law in January 2021. (coughs) And what's upcoming and part of what prompted us to look at this was um, the uh, future mineral summit. FMS coming up next week, 11th through the 13th of January mm-hmm. in Riyadh. In Riyadh, so I'm guessing we'll see some of these, you know, some more things coming out. But uh, you know, what are they offering? Right. You mentioned the Arabian Shield, which is, and you mentioned, and that's in the in the, and I, it's interesting because when you look at it on a map, it's a geologic formation that basically runs along the east coast of the Red Sea. Uh, so, West Saudi Arabia, Western Saudi Arabia, from Jordan through Saudi. And through Yemen, and there's a Nubian Shield, which is on the other side of the Red Sea. It's kind of interesting when you think about all the tectonic a- activity in the, in the in long ago. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever that Red Sea Basin split, uh, you know, it basically separated these huge shields that are rife with minerals. And the estimate is 1.3 trillion worth of mm-hmm. potential mineral value in gold, copper, phosphate, iron ore, and rare earth minerals in that Arabian Shield. Uh, so that's one structural advantage, um, <clears throat> and the Saudi Geological, Geological Survey has already announced 54 locations for exploration. So you know a lot of study has been made, uh, locales have been identified as as possible and promising. Um, other basic stuff, and this is something you th- when you think when you think about a commodities company and all the places in the world where they do business, a lot of them aren't safe, a lot of them aren't secure. Um, Doing business in Saudi Arabia is nice because you know you're safe. Uh, You also know there's a strong infrastructure, roads, rails, ports, electricity. Um, So those are all positive. On top of that, and as part of this sort of mining uh, uh, campaign and the new mining laws that are trying to facilitate investment, um, they're gonna have low tax and low royalties. I think income tax is 20% and the royalty is uh, one to five percent of net profit, not revenue. A five-year royalty holiday from miners. Uh, Discounts of up to 90% for sales to local downstream projects, which is really attractive because there are local downstream projects. Uh, 75% funding for exploration production. The Saudi Industrial Development Fund is offering 60% loans to investors. The Ministry of Industry and Mineral Resources is investing 3.7 billion uh, of their own in the sector. Um, they've recently digitized 80 years of of, uh, geological surveys so they have a national geological database they've just launched well last year or so they launched a a five-year regional geological survey with drones and that sort of thing all over the country which is going to map 700,000 square kilometers of the Arabian Shield so you're walking into a situation where you have uh, real promising geological formations, uh, good environment to do it, and some financial incentives to to you know get moving forward. So, it, you you know it, it could be very attractive, and I think we'll probably see even more announcements coming out of this FMS uh, summit uh, in Riyadh. And they really want to see this, as I said. This is a this is sort of a third leg of that natural resource revenue producer job creator. Uh, and that sort of thing uh, that is part of the Vision 2030. So, you know, it's funny, Saudi Arabia, as we've talked about, feels very blessed. And when you look at all the things they have been blessed with, certainly in terms of natural resources, beginning with oil, but it moves on to all these minerals. And then, you know, of course you have solar and wind and that sort of things. It's hard not to conclude they've been pretty lucky.
0: Yeah, you mentioned uh, Mosaic and Bechtel. The largest uh, Saudi uh, mining company is Ma'adin, not to be confused with the late voice of the NFL, John Madden. Um, <laughs> but Maaden is uh, chaired by Yasser Al-Rumyan, who is also chair of the PIF, uh, the Public Investment Fund. Um, right. He's not executive chairman. Abdulaziz Al-Harbi is the CEO. He was appointed um, on the 25th of April, 2021. At the time that he was appointed, he was the third CEO of Maaden in 13 months. So there was a lot of change going on at Maaden. Um, during this time, but I think Saudi Arabia is really focusing on the mining sector as something that is also changing in line with everything else that is changing in Saudi Arabia. They're not just going to keep mining and and stick with the status quo. They're looking to be a leader in mining technology. Um, I, actually, from the website of the the event that's coming up next week, the Future Future Minerals Forum. Um, They talk about how the mine of the future will be less visible, smaller, use less water and energy, be less Mm -hmm. polluting, more productive and extract minerals more efficiently due to the mass application of new technologies. I think there's a lot of excitement and energy around the technological standpoint uh, of, you know, extracting minerals. I just also just want to add, uh, you were talking about the Arabian Shield. That is a really cool thing to research online. It is really (laughs) fascinating. The sort of the age of of the plates coming together and just a really good rabbit hole if you want to go down it.
1: One of the recent investments is this Australian-based EV metals group. And and, and this is interesting because it it threads in a bunch of things that are going on in Saudi Arabia. And they've committed to spending three billion over the next nine years ago, so up to 2030, on uh, building plants to process, initially building plants to process minerals, including lithium and nickel. Um, and, they, and, 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 and they, they will set up these processing facilities but they've also want to get into exploration. They've got 15 application exploration licenses and, and their plan is to develop a battery chemicals processing facility which will tie in uh, in producing 550,000 tons a year of uh, high purity lithium hydroxide monohydrate with the plant initially you know getting feedstock but the point being is they want to position themselves for what they think will be an,
0: uh, an EV, you know, automotive ecosystem in Saudi Arabia. And there's the rare, uh, rare earth elements angle here, tantalum, um, right. that Saudi Arabia has a quarter of the earth's reserves of tantalum and niobium. I don't know where either, what either of those things are, but, um, <laughs> but they have them and they're, they're in the ground. So, um, Yeah, it's an interesting space. We will be hearing a lot about this coming up next week um, with the Future Minerals Forum. That looks like a big show in Riyadh. Yeah, it does. And
1: then, you know, the rare earth I I discovered not too long ago. It's not that they're rare. There's plenty of it to be found. It's just hard to get.
0: Mm. Yeah, Uh, I remember. uh, Yep, sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that's a big deal, you know, and obviously on key rare earth minerals, you know, the U.S. in particular is trying to diverse away, diversify away from China. It'd be awesome if Saudi Arabia could be part of that.
0: I remember there was a lot of discussion about this uh, rare earth mineral deposits in um, Afghanistan when the United States was pulling yeah. out and sort of what would happen with that and how that affected markets, which is interesting. Yeah, But um, yeah, so um, if you're ready for it, let's move on to the second topic today. Yeah, that was a good um, one. That was a good one minerals are minerals are interesting um but let's talk more <laughs> about the um the other resource that is sitting just a mineral the resource as well yeah exactly um <laughs> we have a theme so um let's stick with it dakar rally we have a bumpy year ahead for oil's price in 2022 Um, Richard, it's likely to be a volatile year for oil this year, Uh, but just like the 966 podcast, oil is off to a strong start in 2022. Strong start. Strong start. 20 episodes, baby. That's right. (laughs) Brent crude on Tuesday jumped to $80 a barrel, its highest since November. Um, OPEC Plus agreed to stick with its planned increase for February of $400,000 barrels coming back online. The group led by Saudi Arabia and including some non OPEC members like Russia did so based on indications that the Omicron coronavirus variant would only have a mild impact on demand. We will see. The decision was welcomed this week by the Biden administration, which increasingly added to its, which interestingly, excuse me, added to its statement that it was in close coordination with Saudi Arabia and the UAE on the decision. Richard, we have talked a lot about oil oil markets and energy on this podcast, but that's sort of by design. Oil is what Saudi Arabia wants to diversify away from, but still remains key in the short term and medium term for the kingdom. So I guess where we sort of want to start with this is we're looking ahead into 2022. Um, What are we looking at in terms of oil's price going forward this year?
1: I, I, I chuckle at your reference at a bumpy year ahead, potentially a bumpy year ahead. We have to, we should remember close to not more than 18 months ago oil was, Brent was $9 a barrel and uh, I think we have to give some credit to uh, Saudi Arabia and OPEC in terms of its management and I say that because so so it was September 2016 and this was after two years of depressed oil prices. after you know, you know, oil, oil, November, November 2014, we know that OPEC meeting, Saudi Arabia declined to full, you know, withdraw uh, barrels from the market. Price crashed after being high for a long time. Um, it depressed for a considerable period of time. Uh, September 2016, Saudi Arabia and Russia, OPEC in Russia, if you would like, agreed basically to to create OPEC Plus, which gave them much more. Uh, I guess not control or much more ability to 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 move the markets. and and between that time, 2016, September and essentially 2020, they took uh, they took over two million barrels a, uh, per day off the market, which sort of settled the price, moved it back up into into $65 range. And you got something a little more predictable, a little more consistent, which is a positive now. They had the hiccup in March 2020 when, when in response to the, to, to the COVID pandemic, OPEC wanted to take another 1.5 million barrels off the market. The R- Russia said no way. Um, Saudi Arabia said, forget you. We learned our lesson in the 80s. We will not, <laughs> we will not be stuck with uh, you know holding the lost market share, lost market share bag. And this is a lesson they learned in the 80s. And they applied it in November, 2014. They applied it in March, 2020. Uh, And as a result, so they flooded the market essentially. And as a result, prices crashed. And and that's when you got that $9, uh, you know, a barrel. And West Texas Texas Intermediate went even farther south. It went negative. Um, But people forget, I mean, that, that was a month uh, they fixed it in in April and obviously we were we were well into the pandemic at that point economic activity was was plummeting um, so there was all sorts of surplus but you know they eventually took off for the rest of that year 2020 they took close to eight million barrels off the market again stabilized the uh the markets as uh, pretty ably and one of the interesting things and i think this is something that will play into 2022 in terms of how we see the markets Now, bumping bumpy they may be, but how, how we read the markets. So in August 2021, OPEC Plus agreed to, to begin increasing production by 400,000 barrels per day, mm-hmm. each month, and that's to continue from the end of 22. Part of that deal was we're not gonna meet, uh, we're gonna meet monthly now, and we're gonna meet monthly to you know address and adjust you know, production targets as necessary. And and that increased frequency I think is good for the markets because it, it gives you some consistency, some transparency. As the communication is more frequent and so on and so forth. Uh, so I, I think in that regard, uh, to get to this point, 80 oil after, like I said, 18 months ago was $9 Brent, <clears throat> um, is notable and again, good for OPEC Plus for managing that. And you also saw today that that oil stocks are now just hit are back to pre pre pandemic levels. Uh, So my my sense is that my sense is you know my sense of this you know high oil prices if you want to call eighty dollar oil high oil prices high oil uh, high oil prices are the cure for high oil prices we saw in. We saw in December that the Permian production, U.S. US shale, uh, largest ever in December, and the projection for January to beat that largest ever. So uh, U.S. shale is slowly coming back online. Um, I don't see, you know, maybe it'll stay at 80. I think that'd be nice for the Saudis. I think the Saudis would like a 70 to 80, would take 85, banned. Um, but, I, you know, I see it, sort of leveling out, you've got supplies. We don't know what's gonna happen with Omicron. It's certainly slowed down a little bit, but certainly in general, uh, economies are, are expanding again. And uh, so I think it'll bump around, bump around, but I don't see it going much higher. Again, I'm not an oil expert, but that, that would be my guess. I also don't see it being particularly volatile. I'd like for it to be fairly steady and, and level. and. And OPEC Plus has shown a you know a, a pretty good propensity of late to to manage and avoid um, you know big fluctuations. Uh, let's set aside let's set aside March 2020, when they had their little tiff after their marriage. Uh, uh, and that, by the way, as I said, you know September 2020, September 2021 marked the fifth year anniversary of OPEC Plus. It's mm-hmm. sort of become just you know,
0: we've all forgotten that it was a new thing not too long ago. Yeah, I mean, I'm always plugging previous episodes that we've done on the 966. We just released a really awesome topical conversation with Kate Durian, who um, is an energy expert and a former reporter in the space. Just a really, really good conversation with her about energy markets. Um, It's really interesting that um, Today, uh, Bloomberg featured an interview, um, a televised interview uh, with Jeff Curie uh, from Goldman Sachs, and he noted that the only two countries in the world that can produce more oil today than they could in January 2020 are Saudi Arabia and the UAE, um, adding that all other producers will struggle to hit pre-pandemic levels. So it's, um, it's very interesting. And you also mentioned price. I think it's interesting that Saudi Arabia is always looking at the price as You know, if this if price starts getting too high, the Mm -hmm. drive to to sort of separate uh, consuming nations from consumption of oil starts to become a lot more urgent, you know. So if the price goes to one hundred fifty dollars a barrel, all of a sudden America and China are going to start saying we don't we got to find a way to not consume so much oil because it's so expensive. So the Saudis are not interested in just raising the price as high as they can get it. They like that sort of sweet spot of 70 to 90 dollars and and being in control of it.
1: Yeah, they uh, they definitely want to manage the price. Now, I I think I'm going to say this again later when we do our yellow segment. But it's mm-hmm. worth saying twice. Your point about Saudi Arabia and the UAE is really important because capacity and the ability to produce at high levels doesn't just happen. Mm-hmm. And Saudi Arabia is sp- at this you know is expanding, uh, trying to expand. Uh, production capacity from 12 million barrels a day to 13 million barrels a day. And you will see later that they're investing, one of the investments is an offshore oil field um, that they're just pumped in $4 billion. You know, you you, you don't get this kind of ability to, to be a reliable producer, much less a reliable swing producer, unless you set aside money and you really commit to it and you make hard decisions where this is something that we prioritize over something else. And it cannot be, emphasized enough that the Saudis have really handled this natural resource responsibly.
0: Your one big thing last week was that new oil that has come online in twenty twenty one hit its lowest level in seventy five years. Right. So I think that's first of all, I think what you just said is really well said, but I, I and I think that's really notable. Um you know if if more oil is not coming online i understand that the world is you know and and i and i sort of think that 2022 is going to be the first year looking back that we will say okay this is where the global energy transition began it's not it it, it isn't but um after cop 26 there's sort of an attitude change about the energy tra- transfer there's a general timeline of of nations around the world pledging to be uh net zero with with carbon emissions um so it just feels like this is a pivotal year but it you know t- taking that and then juxtaposing it with the new oil you know producing more oil today than they could in January 2020 um you know investment in new oil online you sort of see a you know fuzzy picture of of what we're looking at here in the oil space um it's
1: interesting you say that because one of the things the COP 27 which i think next year is in Dubai Oh, interesting. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. It's in. It's it maybe Abu Dhabi and Dubai. But um, one of the things they said coming out of the COP26 was, "All right, we have these pledges. Come back next year with hard commitments, and updated hard commitments. And I think this COP26 was different from the Paris Agreement in 2015, and that." People took it more seriously. There was, a, there was no discussion of whether climate change is real, and and that you had you had a I think 130 nations with um, NDAs with you know national commitments, and they came back and said you know all right, so we had a lot to deal with in COP 26 next year, one year from now. Let's make these pledges commitments. And so it's interesting when you say 2022 may be an interest uh, you know a pivotal year in terms of renewable and clean energy and that sort of thing. Maybe that's the case, and maybe you come back and you have some really hopefully, maybe have some really striking commitments.
0: Yeah. And we talked about this as well. The Saudi Arabia sort of doing uh, its own green initiative announcement and launch before COP26 was a statement in and of itself. It was we are sort of agreeing now that, you know, this is where the world's going and we're trying to get ahead of this. So I, I am also now repeating myself, but um, I just no, think that that I think there's a lot going on here, and it ties to energy, it ties to minerals, and it and everything Saudi Arabia is doing with Vision twenty thirty, but and <clears> and <throat> obviously climate change. So, but again, to to self plug and self promote, one of the reasons we wanted to speak with
1: Kate Durian, uh, and one of the reasons Saudi's uh, energy scene is so interesting is they are they are, and, and this has also came up in our discussion with Chris Johnson, who's a, a good friend and a and a really uh, really uh, informed lawyer in Saudi Arabia has been, you know, plying the, the Saudi legal system and Saudi economic and commercial environment since 1978. So he's a unique resource. But w- what we talked about with both Chris and Kate was, um, you know, Saudi Arabia. You know, Saudi Arabia is an expansionary mode on on crude oil, on renewable energy, on natural gas, on clean energy, hydrogen. Uh, I mean, they're just going full bore on all fronts. Uh, so it's, it's just, and that's fascinating. But yeah, it, and I, I, I echo your, your
0: uh, recommendation that
1: the conversation with Kate's very good
0: it's great and the sun never sets on the 966 podcast you can listen to it whenever if you miss an episode or if you want to go back it's always there the sun does set on the podcast that we're recording right now as you can see Richard's room getting a little darker well, so I'm I looking I was
1: just gonna say I'm spectral over here I, I usually <laughs> I, 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 I shut out all the windows as windows here I'm gonna take it down because yeah the Sun did go down uh, so this week's uh, yellow segment yellow Saudi in a minute Yella yellow <laughs> the first the first topic. Uh, traffic police of Saudi Arabia recently updated this list of fines due to the high rate of traffic violations. Fines range from Category 8 fines of uh, SR 100 to 150, Saudi rials, 100 to 150, all the way up to Category 1
0: with fines of SR 20,000 to SR 60,000. So roughly 6,000 to $20,000. Exactly. Yikes. On the Category 1. Yikes, we talked a little bit about uh, last week with Chris Johnson, Sahar and sort of the complex uh, social um, situation around uh, traffic monitoring. So that's interesting that they're obviously trying to get these traffic violations under control over there. Saudis drive crazily, if I may make a broad <laughs> statement. So this is probably exactly.
1: <laughs> good. Yeah, um, um, it's. Uh, I, I thought this was interesting. And actually the list of, uh, of fines was pretty extensive, which is, isn't surprising. One of the interesting things, and this, by the way, uh, it fits in with their quality of life initiative. They're trying to make things safer, more secure, any number of things. But one of the minor fines, Category 8 fines, made me, uh, I laughed a little bit, because one of them is, is, is throwing objects while the car is moving. Now that is uh, littering essentially. Uh, you know, it's not people throwing things at other cars. It's, it's littering. And, and there, there was a long time, and in, 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 in many developing countries, uh, you know, conservation and awareness of, of littering is, is way on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And for many years the national bird of Saudi Arabia was known to be the plastic bag. Because they, so many of it just been thrown out, they were you know, blowing about the desert, caught in shrubs and this sort of thing. And um, so, and that's it. I, I thought that was interesting because that's a move to try and make the you know the, the environment and you know day to day world you know cleaner and less cluttered and, and, and less garbage. It's interesting. Our our second our second yellow the the, the top fines the category one fines the, the twenty thousand to sixty thousand Saudi rials are for drifting. And we know there's a very there's a subculture in Saudi Arabia. It seems to have, have waned a little bit, but there's and I think that's because they've been brought into a more organized, more official format where people can go drift and, and not be doing it on the open road. But you remember some of the videos, but you know three, four, five years ago of people drifting on on public roads. It's insane,
0: truly insane. We've actually also seen it live on yeah. public roads, and it's very scary. <laughs> it um, is. This is good, and also they're doing. So much in terms of um, cleaning up Saudi Arabia, like it's part, all part of the Saudi Green Initiative. But they're planting trees and they're really working on their waste management. So mm. this is this is sort of an indication of things sort of becoming more civilized there. You know, which I my think dad. Is cool. uh... My dad worked in Saudi Arabia in the 70s.
1: He worked for JCOR, Joint Economic Commission, which is, interestingly enough, was a relationship of the US Department of Treasury, for whatever reason, had with Saudi Arabia, and it had to do with infrastructure projects. And at that time, um, you know, open sewers in the street, I mean, it ran in the street, very little electrification. You know, all the things that are, are you know, the roads. Uh, it's just interesting, you know, uh, every country is on a path. Mm-hmm. And Saudi Arabia is in a hurry on this path, but then their father-in-law on the path, but it's,
0: it's, um, you know, just changes is happening so quickly. Indeed. Number two today, the Saudi International Festival of Motoring, Autoville, is coming to Dirab Motor Park in Riyadh January 8th through 14th. Autoville promises to be a wholly experiential and immersive festival, bringing an action-packed experience with stunt shows, driving experiences such as Tokyo drift-style ride along, Mm. Suzuki Swift track experience, and sprint tracks, and a dedicated after-sales pavilion. So, if you're there in Riyadh for the Mining Summit, Mining Summit, just shoot over, and you can also check out the Festival of Motoring.
1: Yeah, you can you can Tokyo drift a little bit. It's a a a double dip.
0: Uh, interesting. This so, sounds yeah, very this goes, cool. Yeah, sounds, this very sounds cool. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this goes along with your your sort of like legalized and controlled drifting um, <laughs> angle for this, because this is sort of what that is. This sounds awesome. I want to see some some photos and videos of this. Well,
1: drifting drifting is a function of 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 youth with nothing to do, mm-hmm. and that's a big part of Vision Twenty Thirty is giving you something to do. Uh, so you know it's. You know, they're off into doing something, other things now, and, uh, and hopefully, and, and, uh, and, but they have so many more options. It's a good thing. Uh, ready to move on to three? Indeed, I'm ready. <clears throat> Saudi Aramco has awarded <laughs> contracts worth more than $4.5 four point five billion for five key packages meant for its giant Zoloth offshore oil field expansion project in the Persian Gulf. Zoloft currently produces between 550,000 and 600,000 barrels per day of Arabian medium crude and Aramco is targeting as much as 600,000 barrels per day in additional volumes from uh,
0: the Arabian Heavy Reservoir. Fascinating. Um, do you know where the the, the Zaluf offshore expansion is? is you, it... It's just
1: offshore off of, you know, in the Gulf, uh, so I don't know exactly,
0: but I have to think it's near Damam. Interesting. I mean, this goes into what we were just talking about—the you know, getting investing and getting investment into new um, oil expansion. So um, good on them.
1: Yeah. And and, and like I said, yeah, I said I'd repeat myself, and and here we We are—we're repeating myself. It doesn't, you know, being a swing producer or being a reliable producer, fulfilling your quotas always. it doesn't just happen. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a 4.5 billion dollar investment for you know five key packages. It won't be the last of it just for this one expansion of uh, that will get them to a million more, you know, get them from 12 million barrels a day to 13 million barrels a day. Um, you know, plenty of people say, well, what's the point? Why not? Why you go, You know, why do you even have 12? The point is, is that it allows them the flexibility to to be a swing producer and manage markets in a way that they think is constructive and to their benefit sometimes but also very frequently to the benefit of you know the market in general so it, it's it's a commitment that should be applauded and it's and it's management
0: and governance that is as worthy of respect mm-hmm. well said um, number 4 the investment arm of Saudi Arabia's General Organization for Social Insurance GOSI said it delivered returns of over 14% in 2021. Hasana, the fund manager which oversees $250 billion in assets, also said that investment gains exceeded 12% for the past three years and 9% for the past five years. This is cool because Hassana is sort of a new entity that combined two uh, pension funds and now is uh, positioning itself to be one of the top 10 uh, pension funds in the world. Yes, I love these
1: things where transparency uh, breaks out.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's <laughs> nice.
1: <laughs> I have I have a, lo- a friend for many many years, many many years who insisted and maybe he was right. He was he was privy to these sorts of things that always said there's two books, there's two sets of books, you know, in the kingdom. There's one that, you know, goes to the royal family and then there's the other set of books. And uh, and eminently believable. But, you know, as we move along and we see some of the, the Vision 2030 accounting practices and an attempt to be more transparent and more, more disciplined, it seems less likely. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying it's, it's not occurring. I'm not saying, so. you know, but, but these sorts of things where, where uh, public or uh, public-facing or uh, these sorts of, uh, entities that are responsible for for investments are being more transparent is really a good sign, and it's part and parcel with what's happened, you know, since 2017 when Aramco, you know, went you know, uh, floated 5%. You know, in order to do that, they had to become more transport, more transparent, more accountable. It's all a good thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Agreed. Uh, on to the next one. Uh, this Wish me luck on this one. Um, Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Dolce & Gabbana is bringing its lavish Alta Moda, Alta Sartoria, and Alta Geoellaria. Nice. Is that it? I think so. <laughs> uh, shows, shows to Saudi Arabia for the first time on January 27th. Known for staging large-scale theatrical events that fuse emotion with high fashion, Dolce & Gabbana has, has previously shown its moda collections in a temple in Sicily, the storied houses of Milan, and even inside New York's Metropolitan Opera House. Its last down in August was in Venice's famed St. Mark's Square, where thunderstorms added to the theatrical beauty of the clothes.
0: I wonder if the models agreed that the thunderstorm <laughs>
1: added to the beauty of the <laughs> I happen, I don't know why, I happened to be seeing um, a uh hunger games and i don't know that ep- you know episode where her dress catches on fire mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know this is what happens when you're
0: <clears throat> wearing you know really fashionable stuff in the in a in a thunderstorm in st mark's square we talk about uh recurring themes on this podcast a lot and <laughs> repeating ourselves but i mean this is just another example of a an event or a you know a fashion show taking place, and if you were to try to say that this was going to happen to somebody five years ago, they would laugh at you and say, absolutely not. Dolce & Gabbana is not doing its (laughs) Alta Moda collection in Saudi Arabia. But this is cool. I mean, this is progress. Um,
1: Very interesting. Can you actually, they're doing the Alta Moda and Alta Sartorina. What's that third one?
0: Alta (laughs) Geo. But your point
1: is spot on. And it's what you said about the soundstorm. You know, people are going, hey, I could only see this in, in Paris or New York or whatever, or uh, Coachella or Burning Man.
0: <laughs> but uh, Geo, Elleria.
1: Yeah, but here we're seeing it in
0: Riyadh. Yeah, it's, it, you know, Riyadh's the place to be. Indeed, okay, I'll wrap it up uh, with number six and, put a bow in yellow. Jahez ipo this week, listing on Nomu, the parallel uh, stock exchange in Saudi Arabia. The Saudi food delivery firm became the first tech startup to list on a public exchange in the kingdom. Kind of big news.
1: Huge news. Uh, and, uh, and and uh, our friend Fahad um, malki was talking about this, our good friend and, and a and really good lawyer in Saudi Arabia that we did a weekly with, uh, and he was talking about what a big thing this was, and technically, so technically STC Pay is sort of recognizes the first Saudi unicorn because mm-hmm. uh, this, when Western Union bought 15% for 200 million in November 2020, it sort of qualified as a unicorn or billion or more valued a billion or more. But but STC Pay is a fully owned subsidiary of, of Saudi Telecom. Jahez, has to me is a true startup story. I mean, it started in 2016 and is now valued at $2.4 billion and just publicly listed. I mean, I'd give it the distinction of the first true Saudi
0: unicorn. We'll have to have somebody from Jahez on the 966 to talk about the story because I'm sure it was very interesting. I'm sure they have a very interesting story leading up to this. So that's that's really cool. Yeah, food delivery is huge. Um, and well, they hit it just right with the pandemic. Oh, my goodness. hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So congrats to their team. This is huge. It's big for Saudi Arabia too because this is the name of the game, just getting homegrown companies that aren't in the energy and mineral space to survive and thrive and and you know start bringing investment in. so and big for uh, Saudi Arabia's venture capital space as well.
1: You know, I'm looking at me in this thing as the sun goes down and I just have the light from the monitor. I think we need to call this the Michael Myers episode because I'm terrifying. <laughs> well, what I was thinking when I was
0: <laughs> looking at you is that I could really use a cup of Arabic coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be getting pretty late. It is getting late here, so I think we will wrap it up now. Um, again, uh, wherever you get your podcast, if you subscribe to us, leave us a little review. Uh, a five star review is definitely preferable, um, but any review at all would be great. Um, no mention any, of how I look right now. please. <laughs> make it make it just based on the content and not on what we look exactly. like right now, please. <laughs> not if um,
1: none of you were frightened by the, the, the visual.
0: <laughs> um, Richard, thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Lucian. Good one.